Hey folks, Yana Gustala, it's the Yana Gustala podcast. We are back. Took a pause last week, last Monday, no podcast. First time in months, if not even a year or something, that I think I've missed an episode. So that was, uh, it was kind of a, a bummer to have to do that, but at the same time, I had a good reason. I was down in Argentina, we were in the middle of the sessions, and it was just a bridge too far. It was just one extra thing on a workload that was, just wasn't going to be possible uh, while I was trying to concentrate on making that music. So, yeah, really important to take, to hit the pause button on the podcast for a for a hot minute and uh, get to work on, on making this music for you. And boy, I mean, I've got so much to report on. It's crazy. Um, it was... Uh, kind of action-packed from start to finish and it's so far from over i mean that's like one of the biggest parts of it is obviously the tracking uh, but it blows by so quickly at the end of the day i think that's why i always forget and i talked a little bit on the blog on the mailing list on the newsletter about how maybe a week is the sweet spot like having the luxury of four days in the studio was amazing it's the longest i've ever spent working on my own music uh, but maybe knowing what I know now about that, especially the difference from you know, the difference between cutting a record in a day and an afternoon, which I have absolutely done many times before, and the difference between that and then the four days that I've had and everything in between, and now looking forward, I think maybe in the future the a week is maybe the sweet spot and not in terms of just being oh like yeah, i'll bring an orchestra in or i'll you know i do have like 20 different musicians coming through the studio i think it's more in terms of i i saw a little glimpse behind the scenes of what it's like to really sit with a with a take or sit with a song overnight and go back the next day and possibly work on it some more and obviously that's nothing new in the world of music i've done that with pop and rock artists before and, and spent days and weeks um, crafting songs and, and you know, kind of actually rehearsing more than anything and playing those songs over and over and over again in the studio, just kind of a rehearsal with the red light on basically, constantly recording and coming back and listening and, and tightening things up and making them better. And it was really more that this album is more about crafting songs than it is just being open-ended and completely improvised from start to finish. So we were layering things. We were playing to stems, to tracks, to sequences. There were just so many different elements to this album that I hadn't employed before in the studio as a, as a band leader. So that was super interesting to be in the middle of and also directing traffic no uh no producer this time besides myself although it ended up being very much a collective experience in terms of direction and suggestions and nobody was shy which is amazing you know whether it was like cliff suggesting a tempo or you know, saying something about the, the register of a melody that was being played or whether it was Juan Pablo saying something like, hey man, you want to watch your tuning there and just all, you know, no no egos, just everyone was open and, and had the green light to say whatever they wanted and um, yeah, that's the reason they were all there. That's the reason those that the, the, all of us were in that room together was because we work well and n nobody has an ego and, and everyone's there for the song. Uh, which is a great experience as a band leader. It's, it's nice in some places to be a little bit of a passenger and not so, you know, micromanaging everything and just letting it kind of happen and, and see who comes up with what. You know, I'd already put in 
a lot of the hard yards, obviously, with writing and demoing and just conceptually logistics, just putting the whole thing together had already been a, a, a massive chunk of work. So I was already pretty, pretty cooked by the time we got there. Uh, and then sort of reinvigorated by the show we played. We played a show like the, the second day we were there, um, which was great. And the clinic was awesome. There's just so many awesome things about the, the trip in general. But obviously, I'm sure most people want to hear about the album. That's the bigger thing, the bigger project that's happening right now. And um, yeah, I'm, I have one thing. So this is another yet yeah, another moment in the journey as we go from concept to release you know, first idea, initial thought about, mm, I wonder what I could do here to the album coming out. Where we're at in the journey right now is me coming home with a crap load of Pro Tools sessions. I don't use Pro Tools. Um, uh, it's not my software of choice. I'm a Logic guy, although I have Pro Tools here. So I've slowly been rebooting the Pro Tools partition of my brain and opening up the sessions, sort of sorting them out to where I can start to work with them and edit them and just get a feel for what's there and listen to some different solo takes and remember how playlists work in Pro Tools, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so even though I've opened, it's Saturday now, I got back on, oh, should I go back yesterday? So I've been back about 24 hours, not even. And um, I have opened all the sessions and had a quick listen um, but I haven't bounced anything down except one song and I can play you some clips. I'm so excited to play you a little bit of this stuff today. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's titled Demo 2 for now, but it sort of encompasses how, how do I put this? I think sort of how different this album is from all of my others, which is nice. I was, I'm always going for something new. I never want to make the same album twice. Um, everyone being in the same room was great. Always a massive fan of, hey, we kind of have to play this well because there's piano bleed in the drums and drums bleed in the in the piano. And, and there would have been bass bleed into everything had um, this really old, shitty SWR, I think 15-inch combo that Juan Pablo's brother had at his office. It was it had been around for a long time, and we were just like, we want kind of want something to rehearse. It wasn't like we were going to really seriously mic it up and have a DI and a mic. That wasn't really the plan going into it. But it would have been nice not to have to rely on the headphones to rehearse some of the tunes. So we we went by the off by Juan Pablo's brother's office, grabbed it. Moment of truth comes. We get in the studio. And we fire it up and the light comes on because we had no idea if it was even going to work. So we fire up, the light comes on. We're all cheering. Like, oh, yeah, great. It's going to work. It's going to work. And I plug in nothing, not a peep out of it. And it was making whirring sounds like it was switched on, but sadly no sound. So it sat there as a bit of a prop. It's probably in some of the videos you're going to see and uh, it, it'll be knocking around. But sadly, it didn't work. So I ended up not using an amp on any of it. It's the first time I've done an album, another first for me, first time I've done an album for myself where it's been entirely on headphones. No, I'm, I'm, I always have the amp. I always have the amp. Whether I want to mic it or not, whether I want that sound of the mic, depends if I'm in my own room or, or depends on all those factors I'm sure you're well aware of. Um, whether I'm micing it or not, I always have the amp in there for feel. So sometimes I have you know, one ear on, one ear off with the headphones. Sometimes I'm using in-ears, but then I'm kind of closer to the amp so I get the feel. Um, and this is the first time I've relied entirely on the headphones. And I've got to say, not great headphones, if I'm being honest. They were kind of, yeah, kind of terrible, actually. 
but it all worked and it was the first time i felt like oh i know what's going to be coming out of the speakers i can ballpark it when i get into the control room and listen um because if if anyone's ever used ever used headphones good or bad and is a bass player and has been in the studio you'll know that the difference between a pair of studio monitors or basically any other place you're going to listen to the bass sitting in a mix has sort of no relationship to what it sounds like in the headphones as you're recording. So there is definitely some, you have to have some experience of having played on headphones before, I think, so that you can kind of ballpark it and know, oh, you know what, this is not so bad. Even though it's not maybe your sound of choice in the headphones, you wouldn't want to listen to the raw sound of a bass like that. You can kind of, you know, shoot ahead in, in, in your brain and be like, oh, I, I kind of know where this is going to sit in the mix. And I started to get really comfortable with that on day one. And we were thinking about, oh, should we go grab an amp? Or did some people offered. I was like, you know what? Let's just keep it simple. Keep it on the headphones. And that's what we did for the whole four days. And it worked out. It worked out great. I'm going to start playing you little snippets of this tune. You can, Now, what I have to say before I do this is that it is completely flat i haven't even moved a fader there are no effects no compression no mix it is as raw as it possibly gets like no compression really nothing nothing's even panned i don't think so this is a i guess a testament to how well juan pablo was recording it in the first place um, because it sounds i mean obviously it's nowhere close to being mixed and mastered so bear that in mind but and and at the same time as i have been doing maybe you'll marvel at the fact that it, it already starts to sound like something i don't know what yet it's obviously it starts to sound like a song and it starts to sound like the direction i want it to go in and it's not mixed at all and you can hear the count offs and everything i haven't edited anything there are probably some mistakes in there piano is very raw but the bass is there feels good And I like the transition between the, you know, the finger playing and the palm muting that ended up, the palm muting ended up being pretty punchy for me in its completely raw state like this. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be like once there's a little maybe compression in there and some EQ and everything, not even altering the individual sound so much. But the the thing I'm learning about making records and mixing in general is that everything kind of has their zone in the mix and if something's sort of encroaching on another thing zone and they're sort of getting muddled that makes a mix unclear and unfocused so just hearing the fact that each thing is kind of in its own place already but will become way more focused once Juan Pablo mixes and masters it is is incredibly encouraging and the fact that the piano has no treatment on it whatsoever we just have this beautiful big room if you saw any of the videos I posted um, you'll see that we were in this huge room and things were goboed. Like we had panels and we, we switched ideas, miking ideas around here and there and really, really were kind of deep into investigating what sound we were after, what we were going for, and then sort of, you know, trying to dial that in as much as possible. It was interesting how it changed over the days. I think I made an effort to the way I structured the sessions in terms of the song choice of what we were going to record every day was 
I think that was one of the the keys to the success of how we got through it. I wasn't trying to do a whole day of really difficult music. Um, I was trying to do those things when in the morning when we were sort of fresh, but also not first thing when we were just kind of warming up. So it was a, it was a delicate balance. My producer hat was on, thinking like, how am I going to get the best uh, performance out of all of the people around me from you know even from this camp Ramiro that was filming and the the the, the studio assistant and Juan Pablo and the musicians just it's it's not just about the people in the room playing the music there are so many other elements to it that you want to really I think just bring everyone together and communicate really well I think that's something I perhaps wasn't great at in the beginning you know 25 years ago or so but it's something I've really paid attention to over the years and my sort of cautious uh, optimism about the outcome of this project is based upon having put that into practice in the studio and having been really kind of really conscious of everyone, you know, making sure everyone ate and making the call to be like, yeah, we could crush out three more takes right now, but actually it's at that point where people need to eat and we need to take the time and take the break and go have lunch and sort of varying that up. And then also being like, Hey shit, it's the last day and we're running low on time. And today we need to be super efficient with the food. And we have, we're going to give ourselves 45 minutes to go out, get the food, bring it back, eat it and get back in again. So there were times where we had to crack the whip a little bit, but that was the, the overall balance given the parameters of, you know, four days of, you know, just all the things that went into it, all the all the logistics surrounding it, given all those parameters, I think we've really made the most of the time in the studio. And to break up the monotony of my voice, I want to give you a little more of this. So, so the melody happens twice, and then sort of maybe a little unconventionally, you, know, you don't normally like, the drum solo is traditionally the last thing on a vamp at the end of the tune. I decided to make it the first thing. Like after the melody, we get into this. There, there, there is a vamp. Um, there's also some odd time things here. Even though the bigger picture is all in four, I'll count it out for you the way I wrote the chart. Um, Now it's three 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 seven. Um, not difficult to know that three plus three is six plus three is nine plus seven is sixteen, which makes sixteen uh, uh, sixteen sixteenth notes, I guess, uh, which makes up a bar of four, of which this is in. So it, the bigger picture is you could just blast four through there, but the way it's phrased, it's three 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 seven, um, and you can hear the specific downbeats of the bar. And that's how I wrote it. Uh, by, the, yeah, by the way, um, that's also something kind of as we were in the studio doing it, I was, I'm reading all of it, obviously. I wasn't too proud to take charts for myself and to read my own music, even though I knew it really well. I just wanted that reference and that you know, thing on the stand, almost maybe a security blanket in, in terms of like, oh, exactly what is that note at that moment? You know, maybe you get a, a brain fart here and there. So I was trying to avoid those. But it was also like a, a roadmap. And we rehearsed so much, you know, a lot of this material, all of this material we'd never played as a band before. So we were getting to it for the first time in the studio and we kind of rehearse and run the tape and 
and uh, sort of record the rehearsals and start to put an arrangement together. And quite often it changed, you know, from what I had on the sheet to, to, um, to what we ended up recording. We'd move things around and we'd take things out, add things there, here and there. So it was really nice actually thinking about how I'm going to be able to give you guys that. Um, that's, I've, as I've said a few times before, that's part of the pre-sale. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm including the sheet music for all the mu- for all the tunes for the album. Um, if you're involved in the pre-sale, which is still going on, it's going to be going on until the day before the album comes out. Um, it's linked in the show notes. It's linked below the video if you're watching on YouTube, and it includes that stuff. And I'm trying, I'm really trying to find a way to include. I don't know whether I scan them in or take really nice photographs and make PDFs out of them, but I'm really trying to include the original uh, sheet music. I collected it all. I was really meticulous. Like the guys were talking about taking it home. I was like, no, I want that. I want all your notes. And, you know, and Cliff was like, well, you know, I didn't actually make too many notes, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, great. That's a talking point as well. And, and we'll get to that, how ridiculous Cliff and Tom are as musicians. We'll get to that a bit later in the episode. But there were you know, tons of times where we had to make notes and, and cross things out and write things in. And the inevitable mistakes in the copy, in the copy work on my part, you know, the chord symbols wrong or a note is wrong in the bass part or something that clashing with the piano. So we would uh, we would discover that in real time as we were rehearsing. And um, yeah, one of those moments just sort of highlighted in this tune where it's very specifically three, 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 seven. I'll play it to you again. Oh, this is the second time. OK, second time of the melody. And it's right in the end of the melody. One, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. So we go into this vamp, major to minor, twice. Now this is the first solo of the tune. Just over this ostinato, two bar, two bar phrase. Was it four bars? Four bars. Mm. And Cliff, Cliff really goes for it. And it's not like over the top. It's not just blasting. It's so musical. And that's something like, I have been in the studio with Cliff a bunch before and we've played a ton of gigs over the past 20 or so years we've known each other but this i think was the first time really being in quite what's a good word for it maybe it's an intimate situation where where you start to you start to depart from that like kind of colleagues thing and it's more of a more of a serious sort of deep dive into what you do musically because you kind of exposing a lot of yourself musically and you're finding a lot out about the other musicians um, and their their musical personalities when you spend that much time with them, Uh, especially working on your own music and and telling them like, Hey, there's no, there's no stupid suggestion here. Like I want to hear it all. You know, you're here not just to bash away at the drums or tinkle on the piano. You're here to, for your, 
you know, world-class musicianship, but really for your personality and what you bring to the bigger picture of the project. So I really think you get into a completely different zone there. And, you know, we were, I'd rented this house, um, you know, in, in Palermo and super cool. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm going to make some videos, of course, and share them on YouTube. And the, the, the whole documentary, you'll see the, uh, you, you'll, you'll see the whole thing unfold. And that's something also for the pre-sale people. That's another adi- recent addition is I'm actually going to release the documentary to anyone um, who gets involved with the pre-sale kind of maybe a week or two before it comes out to the public, just to give you guys, you know, a little look, a little look inside an early sneak peek and exclusive look. So um, yeah, look, look for that. We're looking at, we play our first gigs in the first week of November in the UK, um, two nights at the Pizza Express in London, the 6th and the 7th, and one night at, uh, why am I blanking on the name of the venue in Nottingham? That's really bad. It's a newer venue. Do I really have to go to my own website and check the tour schedule to tell you that is Peggy Skylight. It didn't even get to the, I clicked the wrong, clicked the wrong button, but it's called Peggy Skylight. Now I'm actually going to go click the right button and check it. Baked potato, baked potato, you. Pizza Express, Pizza Express, Peggy's Skylight. That's November 8th. And that's the three of us. I'm bringing Cliff over from New York, so it's going to be the three of us from the album. Same cats, playing all that new music. Um, yeah, another challenge I'll talk to you about in a minute um, once we get done playing some clips from this tune. Um yeah, and kind of to just to wrap up that thought of how, you know, we're... Oh, I was talking about the house, right? And <clears throat> all staying in the same house and spending a significant of time, a significant amount of time around each other. And, of course, that was Tom and Cliff's, um, not only their first time playing together, but their first time meeting. Um, so that was interesting. You know, we had the gig, which was kind of the icebreaker, I guess like a speed dating event <laughs> we, we all matched i guess and we had a little bit of a sound check to go over some tunes only attempted to play one new tune on the gig um the gig was really more about getting a vibe as a band so to play on some music i've played both with cliff and tom but in separate occasions obviously to play that music together as a trio was fantastic um i had an old friend uh ramiro flores from um who's from Argentina. We went to Berkeley around the same, at the same time and knew each other back then. Hadn't seen each other since he was, um, responsible in a big way for making that gig happen. So I invited him to play on the last tune, which was great. So it was all really good, good energy. And the crowd was packed with 250 people. there. place was rammed. Um, I think it was sold out. I'm not sure. It was it was jam packed, and you'll see footage of that. We filmed the show. I had the video cat, a uh, video guy Ramiro. He was um, another Ramiro. Uh, he was on the on the case, filming the sound check and filming the filming the concert. So kind of excited to release some things from that. Maybe that will be some some YouTube action there, uh, and I'll put some stuff on the uh, in the newsletter as well. So yeah, just a really fantastic experience from start to finish we found out that juan paulo is like the absolute guru of the argentinian paria or parilla as they say down there with the double l sounding like a j just ridiculous and we like we kind of planned ahead to have like a celebratory dinner at the end of it all after the last day of tracking it is beautiful restaurant um 
I probably shouldn't say which one it is. I don't know who, who's listening to this uh, that is down there and is going to blow it up. But anyway, it was a really beautiful restaurant. Um, could not have, you know, could not have planned it better. It was it's just a really nice way to end. Super intimate, amazing food, super kind of high end place as a celebration, you know, but even as amazing as it was. And I think the only real difference was that in the restaurant, they could do things that Juan Pablo just simply doesn't have the, um, I guess the facilities to do at home. Um, but his, his meal, the first night we got there, the, the, just the straight up Argentinian, the asado, the sausage was unbelievable. Like one of the best meals I've had in the last three or four years, like really that level so you find things out about someone you've known i've known him for 25 years and i just found this out about him so if you can do that after 25 years it's a great sign and it's a to me it was just a great sign that there are so many unexpected layers to a project like this that some that have nothing to do with music but that ultimately only add to the entire experience and set you up even more for for success which is which is great. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the exceptional abilities of Cliff and Tom. Uh, ooh. <laughs> la, 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 la. Having a fisherman's friend and it's not being very friendly. I always sneeze. It's like when I, if I ever I chew gum, like the mint makes me sneeze, the fisherman's friend, like anything like that makes me sneeze just one time, right when I, right when I put it in. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be no secret. Once this album comes out, you're going to hear the way these guys played. It was just, I, I, yeah, I really couldn't have imagined it it coming out this well. I, I knew it was going to be great because I know them so well. And I had super high hopes for the writing, obviously. I'd written all this music and I was super invested in it. And, you know, just way into, way into the process. And uh, they just, yeah, they just took it to a, a whole other level. And not only are they doing that like technically speaking and emotionally speaking as they perform the music and interact and improvise and do all these things but as i was you know alluding to before they're constantly you know feeding the feeding the fire in terms of ideas and like how can we make it better and very um not dictatorial it's not a dictatorial situation at all really democratic in that sense in and, and quite yeah no no there wasn't there was like not one moment of attitude in the whole time we were gone which is yeah, just awesome and uh yeah we a couple of times i was like oh i think we've screwed the pooch here like i've written the music is just too fucking hard to play live and then you know an hour later we're doing a take of it and i'm like actually you know what i think we might be playing this in the uk in november um because it's going down it was no, i don't want to say it was going down easy because it wasn't easy at all but a couple of the pieces that i was like the this could take half a day just to get to the bridge and like kind of like 45 minutes in and like we're looking at each other like Shit, i think we've kind of got this already and the amount of I think okay so every single song we have a complete rhythm section takeoff from start to finish uh were there some fixes here and there absolutely um 
I gotta say, I think there was only one. I want to say there was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna really find out for real when I get into the editing and the playlist. But I think there was only one thing in the entire week that Cliff had to like drop in on, like do a punch. I think it was one. Maybe it was two, but I have the feeling it was one thing at the end of this tune in nine. And I'm talking about he was a fraction too early on one sixteenth note. I mean, it was that good. You know, I when when I'm when I was talking about including the sheet music and wanting to you know capture the actual charts that I brought to the studio and Cliff saying, well, actually I learned this one by heart. Like I didn't use the chart on these three, and I was like, holy shit! Like he went in to the practice room and was not fucking around, and he learned the music. Like he knew it. he arrived at the studio knowing the hardest parts of the hardest tunes, like he'd been playing them for twenty years. That's, I got quite emotional about that. I mean, that's when when you look at someone and they do that for you, and you're like, "Holy shit!" That's 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 serious. You know, that's really just reminds you why why you're doing it and and why you're there and how much how much confidence that builds in the future, especially in 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 these two musicians, and how much more I want to do this with them and make more records. And maybe they're not trio records in the future, but maybe this is this trio can be the foundation to slightly larger projects or slightly augmented projects here and there so that just gave me massive amounts of you know confidence and faith in the future of of making music with this with this small group of people so again just above and beyond the expectations which was great um, and then like i'll play you another little clip from this so cliff was I believe we were in the drum solo there oh yeah Tom has that kind of kind of loose lilting swing to his playing. Ah. I appreciate the fact that it's 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 what I love to listen to in great musicians. Hang on a second. Yeah, babe. Okay, little visit from the wife. Uh, and as I was saying, um, it's Tom's playing is what I love to listen to. Uh, Tom and Cliff. It's just we're talking about time, um, sound on this point. Probably secondary for just a second. Um, but the time, I love the fact that when you you know when you listen to that kind of playing it's not that it's it's dense it contains 16th notes it contains syncopation but it's not all just one after the other for the sake of it it's not that security um that that security blanket of just hanging on to the 16th note hanging on to the grid for dear life tom is really really moving around and super expressive obviously the high moving the harmony around and and really developing ideas and it, yeah it's it, i tell you what it's a real uh challenge to transcribe some of that stuff if you want to notate it 
because it really does move so much. It, it, it's that's one of the when you're learning that stuff, when you want to notate it and, and hold on to that for future reference, like 10, 15, 20 years from the time you transcribe it. I, there are so many things like that. Saxophone solos, especially, I'm sure a lot of you know that I'm a huge fan of Michael Brecker. So when you listen to that or Coltrane or any of those style of players, it, it's not just locked to the grid where you can just notate it exactly with conventional notation. Um, so the notation of that when you transcribe it is quite an approximation. Uh, and hopefully when you listen and you read along with it, you you get right back into where into where it is. And I guess when you trans when I'm transcribing for myself like that, it's sort of the notation side of things. And we're getting I know we're getting a bit off track here, but the notation side of things for that is more about my kind of shorthand. You know, do I write a triplet or do I write it straight and then write a notation under it, like annotate it and say lay back or something? And do I put all the grace notes in and all the all the kind of ornaments or do I just transcribe the basics of it? And when I go back, potentially years from the time I transcribe it to be re-inspired, just kind of let those things fall into place once again. So it's that style of playing that that control um, I guess I guess I've heard some people look at it like that it's more out of control because it's not exact and it's not nailing a specific um, a specific segment of like the rhythmic density uh, spectrum. But it's to me that's like when when you have the most control when you're that free and you're that loose and it's the resolutions as well. It's creating that tension by playing across the bar line and playing a little loose. Uh, but where you where you resolve that, especially as a piano player, it's amazing that you can comp for yourself and create all this amazing tension with the chords in the left hand, play melodically along with that while your both hands are moving away from the original harmony. But the resolution is where, to me, where it all makes the most sense, where you bring the bring the listener back into the story. Something I thought, something well, something I learned initially a lot from listening to Herbie Hancock, and it's. You know, it's something that all the great players of all time do. Uh, Keith Jarrett, I would say, is another amazing example and something I've listened to more in the style of what you're hearing in this track, actually. More that those kind of linear ideas. So between Herbie and Keith and Chick to a certain extent, but Chick was always a little more on the grid to me always a little more specific with the articulation. I think that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that like he's, he plays robotically. I think it is very unique what he does. And you can tell within just a couple of notes that it's him. Um, it was great. Like a great example of that. We were sitting around in the, in the house one, one night and talking about musicians and this and that gigs we've done. And we start to talk about recordings and, uh, I pulled the iPhone out and played, um, played a track and it was a track, Cliff was like, hey, I've never heard this, but the first two notes of the whole song. And he's like, well, that's Wayne Kranz. You know, two notes on a recording he'd never heard, never even knew existed. And it was Wayne Kranz on, um, oh, maybe I even have it here. I can play it to you. Is it in my, it is in my um, iTunes. It's Low Blow by Victor Bailey. Uh, is this the track, City Living? <laughs> Oh, that was all he heard. And immediately Cliff was like, that's Wayne Kratz. You know, and of course, of course he knows Wayne. He's played with him, but I don't know, 15, 20 years, a long time, hundreds of gigs. 
and, and recording sessions and stuff. So he knows Wayne uh, be- better than most. And immediately he's like, oh, that's Wayne. <coughs> and Wayne, ironically, he lives down in Argentina as well. He lives in Buenos Aires. His wife is from there. But he wasn't in town while we were while we were hanging out, which was which was a bummer because that would have been a good hang. But anyway, yeah, Cliff, that just highlighted to me how universal that thing is, and it's you guys know if you follow the podcast, you know that I you know the the personnel on the record changed kind of at the last minute, and I was going through like who am I going to get, who's it going to be, what sound am I looking for? I had this whole thing mapped out in my head with Nico before and I'd written all this music and I kind of had to scrap that and start again with someone else in mind. And when I finally landed on Cliff and I was like, oh, I think this is going to be really interesting. We have such a great history together. I love him as a person and as a musician and everything. Let's see what happens. To write with that with that thought to have that be your inspiration to write music for someone that was huge that was just that really really helped the process and then when he delivered like times a hundred on the date was uh, was just it's, it's like childhood dreams coming true you know like checking so many boxes there and it's not like oh check the box and that's a that's something i've always wanted to do and great let's move on I don't need to do that anymore. But like, oh, check the book box. That's something I've always wanted to do. And now I want to do a lot more of it and see how far we can go with it. So just great, great moments, great memories to be that have been made. I, I think great music as well. Very, very proud of the story so far. Um, you've heard a couple of couple of little bites of it and there'll be more uh, make sure you're on the mailing list that's probably where most of the sharing is going to be between the mailing list and the, and this podcast and of course the youtube channel um something i'll give you a little look into uh right now is that it's something i did for the have done sorry it's something i did for the first time ever um i was very conscious of the fact even though i hate the fact that it's a consideration these days when you're recording music i was very conscious of the fact that there needed to be video and that making an album in 2023 and probably beyond for many years to come. If you're not, if the camera's not rolling, you're probably leaving a lot of value on the table in terms of what you can get out of the music and, and the audience it can reach and the people you can inspire to listen to it and inspire to come to shows and support the project and, you know, be involved in the pre-sale, buy an album when it comes out, all of those things. Um, even just you know inspiring people to listen on Spotify and and help those numbers those artist numbers to make more more things possible ultimately more live shows possible I think if you don't have the camera rolling you're probably leaving you're probably leaving like 20 25 percent of the value of the music out there maybe more maybe much more so with that in mind and being very conscious of that I made the decision to um, at least try in the four days get all of the songs cut by lunchtime on the fourth day and leave myself the afternoon to basically shoot music videos and to use the takes we we already had as playback and to play over them with with uh with new performances uh of you know just one new drum bass and, and keyboard or piano part um to, to really have a visual representation of the song and how you know how that looks and is kind of the energy of being in the studio while we cut it so not sure how that's all going to come out i haven't even gotten to the edit stage of that yet and 
we did we did that with three songs we ended up having time to do that with three songs and on two of the songs we did three passes because i only had one camera guy down there this time so we did three passes with three different concepts visual concepts uh, i think we did a lens change on one and then we did a completely different look on another um, so it kind of will eventually look like there were three cameras, which is a good way of cheating on that and just be a way of having the music, you know, obviously having ultimate control over the music. I guess the way bands like Dirty Loops and, and all of those people do that when they really do a music video, um, plus being able to cut in actual moments from the original tracking of, the, of each song. Because uh, we have amazing coverage from across the whole four days. Basically, it's a massive editing job. It's going to be a fucking nightmare to, to piece all those pieces together, or rather, just to catalog all the shots that I want and then edit them. So, but ultimately, what it's going to lead up to is uh, the ability to release three singles, three songs from the record, three kind of different, uh, three really different songs that showcase the range of the album. I think pretty well. Um, and be able to release those, you know, a couple of weeks apart leading up to the launch of the album. So I'm really, uh, really quite excited to do that. It's almost like an old school thing, like releasing singles before before the album comes out. Steve Smith was doing that with the last project we did with Vital Information. You know, bands have been doing that for decades. Um, so I'm taking a leaf out of all of their books and going to try it myself. So there'll be three hopefully nicely produced and great looking or more importantly, great sounding sing, uh, singles that will come out visually um, first of all and audio wise via YouTube. So that'll be, that'll be soon as soon as I can get those edited and we get the mix done, probably start doing that. Let's say late mid to late September, sort of like six. And I, I anticipate the album coming out in the last week of October. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the goal right now. Um, so I've given myself sort of two and a half months to do all the video, all the audio, the artwork, like all of those things that go into finishing a record like this. I've given myself about two and a half months rather than the three weeks that I gave myself or something the last time we did it. I definitely learned a lot from that. I don't want to rush the music. I, of course, want to get the music out to you immediately. I'd love to share all of this with you right now, but I know it's going to be a better experience for you and a much more fulfilling presentation for me to make to to really share it in the highest possible quality by taking a little more time than I normally have in the past and uh, and hopefully producing a better product than I ever have in the past, a better finished representation of what it is I'm doing musically right now. So don't forget tour dates. Um, got a couple of shows in LA. I'm going to be out in China and in Hong Kong in October. And then I'll be with my trio with Cliff Armin, Tom Corley, two nights at the Pizza Express, 6th and 7th of November. And then at Peggy Skylight in Nottingham on the 8th. Um, also making an appearance on the SBL podcast uh, on their main channel. Uh, shooting that in September. So hopefully that will be out kind of to coincide with the album, maybe as a little bit of press for the album. And uh, also I think they have some other things cooking there in terms of uh, the con concept. You know, they've, they've done it with Henry Linda. They've done it with uh, Rob Malarkey, with Guy Pratt, with Marcus Miller, I believe. Bunch of great bass players, obviously. And uh, looking forward to, to seeing what they come up with. They have a string change challenge. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is getting destroyed um, in terms of the time and the playability of the strings as well. I still give Henrik a hard time for, I think he has the fastest time, but he had like 
three C strings or something. It's totally unplayable and not in tune. So anyone who knows me, the only reason I'm saying that, and it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, because anyone who knows me knows that I have infamously, I guess at this point, changed my strings a lot over the years, like kind of a ridiculous amount. Used to be every night on tour, used to be three days, once every three days at least at home. So I only say that I think the string change, string change challenge time is getting smashed, <clears throat> much like the Top Gear star in a reasonably priced car. I don't know if you ever watched that TV show before it became the garbage that it is now, but when it was Jeremy and uh, James May and Richard Hammond, when it was the you know kind of the original, the longest running to my for my money, the best guys on Top Gear. They always had the the lap, the celebrity lap. So. I guess that's kind of what the string change challenge is on the SBO main channel videos that they're doing with bass players. And uh, I look forward to look forward to taking the challenge. I'll bring my best wire clippers with me. Um, all right, that's it. Don't forget, pre-sale is still happening. It will happen all the way through this prog- pro- uh, progress process and progress. I'll keep you updated on the progress, uh, especially on the newsletter. Make sure you're signed up at my Substack. Also linked in the show notes and link below if you're watching on YouTube. And um, it's great to be back. No more, no more missed podcasts. We no more missed podcast weeks now. And uh, yeah, that's it, folks. Thanks for thanks for hanging this long, and I'll uh, see you next time. Bye. <laughs>